Our kids can um, head out with Kirsten today. And everybody else, you can find a seat. So we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we were out of it last week uh, for um, Mother's Day, and um, we're out of it again one more week today. Um, and then uh, we will be stepping back into the Sermon on the Mount um, next, uh, next weekend. John O'Hare is going to be teaching about oaths next week is where we are. So I um, just encourage you to be reading chapter 5 and uh, keep catching chapters 5 and 6 now and start catching up with where we're at um, today, I just want to focus on communion since we do it every single, every single week, but we don't often talk about it. The ancient church actually called it the table. Um, I think I've shared about this a little bit, but um, the church I grew up in was a great church. We had communion once a month. Um, service, uh, Sunday school started at 930. Uh, the main service started at 1045. Um, I grew up in Wheaton, Illinois, and there was a million churches there. They all started at 1045. Um, I think it was just like there's something in the Bible about that, and so they all did the same thing. Um, and uh, when I would walk in, I remember as a kid, 10, 10 years old, 11, I would come into the service, and um, when I would see, I'd see the, in front of the pulpit, because they had the stairs and the pastor sat up on the steps and the choir back there, and on the table, uh, once a month, I'd walk in and I'd see the gold trays all stacked up. And there was, we had about 800 people in our church, and there was a lot of gold trays, um, and I'd, I'd have three immediate reactions. Um, the first one was fear. Um, I remember just feeling fearful because um, the trays were s- kind of scary. If you, if you grew up with those trays when you were little, um, they come around, and it has all those little plastic cups in there. And then the little thing in the middle with the, um, those, they weren't really crackers. I don't know what they were. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't natural. Um, they're like a quarter inch by quarter inch. You couldn't get your fingers on those things, and they didn't taste like anything. And but I remember, I'd, I'd be fearful because I'd know the tray was going to come around and um, there was gonna, my mom and dad were going to jockey whether they're going to pass, pass the kids or not. And we were always trying to grab it because we wanted to be part of it. But there was part of me that wanted it. There's another part of me going, I don't want to touch the tray because you touch it and you start shaking because it's heavy and those things rattle. And then the ones that are full start spilling. And then my mom's already getting like her towels out and trying to do all this stuff. So I was always thinking, and the tray comes, what's going to happen? Because it's, you know, I'm going to have to grab this thing and it's very heavy. I don't want to drop it. You can only hold it with one hand because the other hand you got to grab the little cup, which was these, like these four fingers were the cup. And then these two you had to get that little cracker. And it was just so scary. I remember just terrified. So fear, and which is not a good thing um, before the table. The second one, um, was, uh, what did I write down here? Confusion. Um, I had no idea what we were doing. Um, I don't remember ever our church ever actually explaining what it was about. They always read the passage from um, the Corinthian passage about it. And uh, so you would grow up trying to figure out what it was about by watching everybody around you. And all I noticed is that everybody looked very sad. And so I remember I would think, okay, Jesus died, you know, and it was my sin that did that. And so I would work very hard to um, think about him dying, and then I'd try to feel badly about it. Um, and that was generally the only thing. So I, but I was confused. Um, and to come around, and I knew the, the red stuff was like blood, and the bread stuff was supposed to be like his body. I got that. Um, but what was it really about? What was going on there? Nobody ever said anything. So we would take it, but there's always a sense of, so, so what was that about anyways? Why, why did we even do that um, in the first place? 
And then the last one was impatience. I always felt impatient. Um, we always went out to eat after church on Sunday because every, I think everybody else that went to a church in Wheaton also all went out to eat after church on Sunday. We would take off right after church and get to the restaurants as fast as we can before all the lines would pile up with tons of people. So on Communion Sunday, I was impatient because I knew what was going to happen. On Communion Sunday, um, we had to be extra fast because we're out 15 minutes late. They tacked it on the end of the service and never had any connection with whatever else we did in the service. It was tacked on the end. It was 15 minutes long. And, um, and then my dad was out the door because we were going to get to the restaurant before everybody else did. My mom, somewhere along the line, learned that she wasn't allowed to talk to anybody after church on Communion Sunday. That was like, you don't do that. And they, they had a conversation about that at some point. I remember waiting in the car once for her, and she was talking, and my dad was not happy about that. Um, and we, so we were impatient because we had to get to dinner. Um, that's not a good way to do communion. It's, it's not a good way to learn it. It's not a good way to participate in it. I don't think I'm alone in that. Um, but it's interesting that even here, when I, th- I think we try to give attention to it, we try to honor it, um, when you do something every week, it can just be something we do. Um, it's just, it's very, very easy to happen. Um, and I would say I had some significant moments um, during communion times. I mean, things happened, but in general, it wasn't always a very good experience. But even here, as I said, we can forget um, what this is about, um, or maybe more likely, we, we don't get the whole picture of what this is supposed to be about. Um, and we can just go through the motions. Um, the, uh, sometimes we say, you know, should we do it less so that it's more important or do it more often? Um, and I don't think it has anything to do with frequency. If it becomes unimportant to it, I don't think it has anything to do with doing it frequently. Um, there's a reason we do it frequently. Um, that's usually a heart issue. Um, I'm just not there. Or perhaps there's just some lack of knowledge about what it's all about that gets in the way. So we want to try to remedy that a little bit um, tonight. It's a weekly meal. So what is it? What is it about? Um, what, if anything, happens here? Um, and there's difference of opinions out there. The New Testament offers very, very little specifics about what we do when we gather together. And we get some examples. Um, it definitely doesn't tell us to start at 1045. I'm glad we don't here. It's Sunday morning. It's nice to start at 930. And 530 is a great time. Um, it doesn't give us very many specifics at all about what to do in our services, but it does tell us to gather around this table whenever we get together. It's very specific about that. And so um, I think perhaps um, the table time, the time around the table, is perhaps our most important expression of worship um, as a church body. And so we want to make sure we've paid um, close attention to it. So I want to take a closer look. Can we just read two passages um, for tonight? And I'll just kind of be referring to them as I go along. Um, with this, the first one's from Luke 22, verses 13 through 20. It says this, And they prepared the Passover, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table with Jesus and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, if they had eaten, he said, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. 
And then 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, says uh, Paul talking, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Just pray with me for a moment. Lord, as we come um, before your word, um, we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is our only teacher. We want to submit ourselves to what you've put before us. Um, this meal that we participate in every single week, Lord, we want to um, get a bigger picture of all that it is and to be able to enter into it fully. So do that for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Three key words tonight, presence, reenactment, and participation, which do not cover the whole scope of what's happening here, but it's a part that I'm going to pick out tonight. Presence, reenactment, and participation. So the first one is presence. What does presence of God have to do with the table? We believe in a God that's always present, um, whether we pay attention to it or not. We believe um, that the Holy Spirit has actually taken up residence in us, which can't be any closer than we could possibly imagine. Um, so we do, that's always the case. But is Christ present um, in this table and in these elements in a way that's unique to his other presence whenever we gather? That's the question. Is his presence here in a different way? And we, the scriptures talk about when two or three gather together, he's in the midst of them. There's something different about when we get together. Is there something different about his presence um, in these as we gather together? The passage that we read said, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. The, um, the word remembrance actually means to make present. To make present. It means to make present. Um, and the question is, how? And in what way do we make him present in the remembering of him? Um, the early church fathers uh, wrote about the, uh, the communion, the table service frequently. They actually talked about exactly what they did during that time. Uh, there's uh, multiple passages. But they left the issue of they, they believed that he was uniquely present, actually, in the cup and in the bread, but they never explained it. They just left it a mystery, saying he's there in a unique way, and we honor that, but they, they left it um, unspoken as far as exactly what that looks like. The Roman Catholic Church, although it wasn't until about the 12th or 13th century, um, developed the, the, the idea of transubstantiation that the, when we take it, although they look like the bread in the cup, when we actually put the bread into our mouth, it turns into Christ's flesh, when we drink the cup, once it goes into us, it, we have the very blood of Christ into us. You know, uh, was it John 6 talks about Jesus says, you have to eat my flesh, you have to drink my blood. Um, and so they, they took the, the view he was de definitely present, and it actually the, the elements actually changed um, as we partook of them, which led to a whole bunch of different things. Um, and part of the issue what it led to is a sense of re-sacrificing Christ over and over again. Um, and so the table quit being a table and became an altar, but this is a table, um, and it's a, um, a feast in a sense. Um, Luther, and, um, when the Reformation came along, Luther had a different idea. They, they all rejected that idea. Um, Luther adopted a, a bit of thing called consubstantiation. He said that the bread and the cup remain bread and wine, but the physical presence of Christ is there in, with, and under the elements. So um, didn't say they actually changed, but definitely want to identify a way that Christ's very real presence, physical presence, is there in some way. And I think he gets, um, gets at the heart of it there. <clears throat> another one of the reformers, Zwingli, and it actually wasn't just him, but some other, some other of those, 
wanted to um, get so far away from the Catholic Church, they adopted, basically said, it's a memorial, it's a remembrance, that's it, that's what it is. So when we get to, <clears throat> when like, I had, we had a memorial service for my mom back in uh, January, we remembered my mom, we talked about her. Um, in a sense, we make her present by telling stories, but she wasn't there. So it's just a memorial, we're just talking about the person. They're not really, there's nothing, it's just, it's purely a memorial, a, a, they're symbolic. Um, his presence isn't there in any different way than any other time, but we remember him by in a memorial kind of way. So um, <clears throat> we step quite a bit back. Some of the other reformers did a more moderating position. They said that the real presence is a spiritual presence whereby we feast on Christ by faith and we experience his presence through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we've got all these different views, right? Um, I think what gets at it is that there is something unique in gathering around the table as the body of Christ. Um, the word to make present is a very strong word. It's much stronger than when I tell a story about communion when I was a kid, and we, we think about, oh, I remember what that was like, and we remember something. Um, the word for remembrance here is a very strong word that it's in some way um, the triune Godhead is present here in a way that's unique. Um, and I would kind of lean towards early church fathers and go, let's not explain it. Let's just recognize that there's something here that is different than any other time. Um, which is why Paul says, don't rush in there without making time, being, being, having your heart in the right place. Um, he even says that because people were dishonored, people were dying. I remember thinking as a kid, you know, what if I do something really bad and I forgot one of the sins and I die when I drink, because this would be awful. Um, and so that tells me there's something unique to this. There's something that happens here in terms of ministering Christ's presence in our midst. Um, and so when Paul, Jesus says, remember me, we make him present in a way that's unique, although probably not easy to explain. Many of us land in the place, and this is where I've been almost my whole life, um, where to make present means to cognitively recall or possibly to emotionally try to connect with the experience. So we try to just think about him. I think about what he did for me. Or I just try to feel something. I desperately try to feel something. I'm supposed to feel something at this table. And sometimes neither one of those things happen. Um, but I think it's way more than that. And all I think that's part of it, and those are helpful things to do. We do remember what he did. We remember who he is. We remember what he did for me. Uh, we feel his suffering. We grieve over our sin. It's all those things. But I believe it's more than that as well. As I said, the force of the word to make presence very strong. So we'll leave it a mystery, but it's a very real mystery, and there's a very real presence that is not found in any other setting but this. Every single week when we gather together and do this. Um, it was about four years ago. Um, my brother Chuck, uh, brought, after my dad had passed away, brought my dad's car here for me. Um, and some of you were in church that Sunday morning. He showed up in church, and I didn't see him um, until church was over. And I remember it was over, and I looked, and he was standing right over there where Andy is about. And I saw my brother, um, Chuck, and I had not seen him for a long time, and I was just shocked that he was here from Chicago. And um, I didn't think about him at all, other than that, I, that's Chuck, right? I knew. I, didn't, I felt things, but I didn't even think about how I felt. You know what I did? I ran over, and I hugged him. That's what I did. He was there. I could actually grab a hold of him and embrace him. Um, 
And I think there's something about that when we talk about Christ's presence here. And we can't make ourselves think that way. Um, we can just ask him to manifest himself, I think. I think it's appropriate to do. Um, he doesn't want us just to think about him. That's a good thing. Um, we should feel something, and I think that's helpful. But there's more to it than that. He is here in our midst. Um, and we gather around it. We, we gather around with thousands of years before people doing it, and in the future too. And some way, there's some, some sense that he's here in a way that he's not here at other times. And I know, personally, I, I want to experience that. I want to know his presence in a, in a more tangible way, in a more fuller way, when we gather around the table rather than just taking some bread and eating a cup. Interesting, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, remember the story of Luke 24? Um, and Jesus tells this whole gospel story to them, and it reveals himself all through the scriptures. And, but they don't recognize him until what? He breaks the bread. And the picture almost is that he was almost doing the whole telling the story, and he breaks the bread, and all of a sudden they, they knew he was there. He had been there all along, and all of a sudden they could almost grab him, but before they could, he was gone. It's just this great story, and they meet him later. Something of that is here, and like I said, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm a pretty enlightenment-minded person, so it's hard to break out of my old patterns, but there is something of Christ's presence here when we gather that is not here at other times. Second word is reenactment. When Jesus and the disciples got together in the upper room, what was it about? It was a Passover, remember? And the Passover is a meal that tells a story. That's what it is. It's a meal that tells a story. And there was always a host at a Passover meal who would explain the story as they did it. So they're eating all these different things. How many have seen the Passover done? We've done one here before. Um, they tell a story. It tells the whole story of God rescuing the people from the land, and, and, it, and it, it points to a promise of further rescue, and the host explains it as he walks through it. So they get together, and they're having the Passover meal with Jesus, and Jesus is the hosting it, so he's explaining it. They're telling the story. And um, like for the Jews, it looked back to the rescue from Egypt. It looked ahead to a further redemption and rescue. Um, the Passover meal was a picture of a story. They didn't just tell it. But they got to see it. There's things that have symbols and meanings, and it becomes more alive because they can actually get their hands on something, a very real story. And they would commemorate um, and reenact God's redemption through a meal. And actually, the Passover meal was the identity-defining practice of Israel because it told a story about them, told them who they were. The table is supposed to be the same for us. Um, Interesting. Um, says Jesus says he prepares the Passover, and he begins to tell them the story as he, a Passover host would have done. And he comes to the third cup, the, the cup of blessing, which we'll talk about um, in a few moments, um, and the host interprets it. And what does he do with the Passover meal? He gives it a new interpretation. He explains that it is about what you thought it is, but it's about way more than you ever imagined it was about. There's another whole story that runs through it. And Jesus unpacks that whole story um, for the disciples. In, the, um, in this table that we gather around, um, the whole story is disclosed. That's the second thing. The whole story is supposed to be reenacted. Um, we don't do the whole Passover thing, but actually in these elements here, um, the entire gospel story is reenacted and disclosed to us in, a, in another way. Let me remind you of the whole story. Um, I've got some symbols up here. I stole these from Chris Gonzalez. He's a pastor up in um, Phoenix. There's, they're not the greatest things, but they work. Um, I grew up, as we've talked about this before, I grew up, the gospel is, I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell, which is true. 
and Jesus rescued me, and that's good news, and so I trust him. That was the gospel. That's the whole thing. It's actually the heart of the gospel. You can't remove that. If you take that out, you just got people trying to do good things. But it, that's changed this. It's the heart of the gospel. But if that's all we think the gospel is, it impacts how we view this table. But the, God, the table actually tells the whole story. And the story starts, we've, we've been through this with the kingdom of God. What is the very, what does the story start? It starts in the garden. Ch- chapters 1 and 2 is where the story starts and is the, actually pictures the whole gospel. It's God who, who chooses to come in. He chooses to create. He chooses to have a relationship. And he produces us as his image bearers in order because he wanted us to be with us. He wanted to have this relationship. And there's this perfect relationship between God and people. They, they understand themselves. There's, there's freedom there. There's, there's nothing between the, Adam and his wife, Eve. There's open. And they have oneness, actually, with the created order. It's just all is right. That's where the gospel story starts, this, this gorgeous, beautiful picture. And God says, what about it? It was really good. It doesn't mean like if he would do it again, he'd try something else. It was like it was the culmination, the pinnacle of God's creative activity. That's where the gospel starts. Then the next thing we have is the sin. That's where we usually go to first. There was people decided to, to make their own kingdom. Interesting, um, and I won't go into this because I did this a long time ago, but the, the first thing that God tells them to do in the garden, they get to eat. It's all about a table and food. It's really great. And then where does disobedience happen? It happens in food. They rebel in this area of eating something that weren't supposed to happen. And then we get a table here, and then we get a table in the future, this marriage. And it's, just, it's a great picture. Anyway, sin. You've got sin here, and that's the second part of the story. There's this, this, this breaking. So the relationships between each other are broken. They're, they're hiding from God. Their relationship with God is broken. Um, their, their relationship with their self is broken. Adam's blaming other people. He doesn't even see his own, his own self. And they're... they're, um, they're Relationship with creation, the created order is broken. It's suddenly thorns and thistles, and there's pain, and there's all this hurt. And then the next part of the gospel is this, the, the biggest chunk of the Bible that we have that we skip. The whole Testament, which we've been talking about, is, is giving us this foretaste of this great picture. And so this whole story of God creating these people for a purpose and, and telling them that he's going to be present with them in the tabernacle and the sacrifices and all these things that he done is all part of this story about God bringing something. You can't just take it out. We don't even understand the New Testament unless we understand all the things he unfolds. And then the culmination, of course, the story is Jesus. When he comes back and we have the cross, um, and there should be an arrow coming down and an arrow going up next to it because basically it's the incarnation and the resurrection. We don't want to forget those. It's not just the cross. It's all of that. And Jesus comes and he brings us our answer for our sin, right? He brings redemption, brings new life. He transfers from darkness to light where the old man is crucified and we're raised to walk a new life and then you've got another whole section of of us this is us this is the church going out on mission um, from that place taking that remember we looked at those about going out and touching the kingdom all over the place and and making impact on people that's part of the gospel story we are still in that story today remember the kingdom is here but it's not yet as well and then you've got the very end, which I always thought, remember we've talked about this in church over and over again, I always thought the end of the story is we get to go up, right? But the truth is the kingdom of God comes down in our midst, and there's a, a re, final recreation because the first thing God made said it was great, so why not go back to there again? And so we got this restoration, which we talk about. That is the whole gospel. That's the whole gospel story. As a matter of fact, um, although I love the bridge illustration navigators use, it's always used that, it doesn't get the whole gospel there. It has our, our own personal sin and, and, and stepping across on the cross. That's, I love that whole thing. 
and that we get restoring. But that's just the heart there. The whole gospel is, goes from beginning to end. In this table, it gets reenacted um, over and over again, which is why we do it um, week by week by week by week. And I'm not going to walk through it this week. I think it would be another sermon. But we could walk through and go through each of those things, and I could show you from this word where the bread and the cup and our taking it as a church body together actually reenacts the gospel story over and over and over again. Interesting that the uh, ancient church had a, four, a fourfold um, liturgy of service. Um, we kind of do more of a fivefold. Um, but it was gathering, and it was the word, and it was table, and then they respond, and then there's ascending. So there's a you gather together, coming under the word. There's a table, which is this. And then you have a response, and then you have ascending. At the center of it was the table. It was always the table um, in that place. The table is the unifying and the climatic moment of worship. Um, in the word, we tell the gospel. In the table, we get to reenact the gospel. And in ascending out the doors, we do what? We live the gospel, right? So we, we talk about it. It's a good thing. Um, we enact it. And then we go out and live it. Interesting, we just did a baptism, was that last week? Last weekend. So what do we do? I said, this is what salvation is about. We spoke it. We spoke the gospel. This is what it is. We use our words. And then what did you get to do? We got to see it. We get a picture of it underneath the water and coming back out again. And we get this, this and it's like, gosh, that makes sense. And in the same way, we're, we're supposed to speak the story of salvation, the whole gospel. And then we get to actually see something tangible, physical, that tells the story. And it sinks into our heart um, in a new way as we enact it. Interesting, just again, on the, on the road to Emmaus, um, the, what does Jesus do? He walks in the road and he says what? He shows himself in all the word. He unfolds the gospel and words to them. And at the very end of all these words telling it, he does something physical. He shows them a picture of the gospel. And then they get it. It just all of a sudden, wow, that was it. Um, and they do both. It's just a visual illustration for us what happens when we when we reenact the story um, the table meal reorients life by relocating us in the story told by the word instead of being defined by the stories of our culture and world we live as participants in god's story this is from uh, robert weber let me read that again the table meal reorients life by relocating us in the story told by the word. Instead of being defined by the stories of our culture and world, we live as participants in God's story and it defines. Remember we said, why do we gather? For expression and transformation. Week by week, going through the same kind of liturgy over and over again, it shapes us. The table is part of that. As we reenact the gospel week by week, it shapes our hearts um, for what he has. And that takes us to the last word, participation. Let me read 1 Corinthians 10. 16 17 again the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of christ the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of christ because there is one bread we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread as i said the cup of blessing was the third cup in the passover meal and jesus takes that third cup and he assigns himself to it this is my blood which is a new covenant that's poured out for you. And he, he interprets and gives it an entirely new meaning. We have participation in the blood of Christ as we look at that and remember his suffering and his atonement. And we remember that we're called into suffering as well. 
as his followers. We have participation in the body of Christ because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And there's a sense that when we break the bread off and we eat it, even though it's just that little bit, it's a reminder that he nourishes us with his life because it says that he was raised to walk um, in life. We have participation in the many. That's all of us here. Um, that, that we're one body. And the coming of the one loaf reminds of that. You know, I, when I go out in the desert, I do communion every night. It's not the same by yourself. It's, just, it's, it's okay, but that's not what it was meant to be. It was meant to be something that we do as a church body, which is why Cameron always says, don't come up here alone. I go up here alone all the time. And he says, don't come alone. Grab somebody. Come up here with them. There's something about we do this together as one body because it's a picture of God's uh, greater body of the, the, the church. The word participation in 1 Corinthians 10 is a word that we know for fellowship. It's a word for koinonia. That's the word that Paul uses here. So he says, the cup that we bless, is it not a koinonia in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a koinonia in the body of Christ? Um, it just means to have in common with or to have partnership with or to be united to something. And so he says, we are actually united with his blood. We have koinonia with his blood. And we're actually united with his body. We have koinonia with his body, in a sense. And we're united with each other as we do it. We have koinonia with each other as we take um, and gather around the table. As I said, what does that mean? I'm not sure, but there's something here significant. Um, by the way, when they ate back in Jesus' day, they didn't, have, um, they didn't set the plates around the table, and everybody had their silverware. They just put it all in a big platter in the middle. And so when you reach for the piece of meat, you're both grabbing for the same stuff. When you reach for the bread, you're grabbing the same thing. And there's a, there's a picture in that of us all taking from that same place. Um, and we, we kind of lose that, which is why I like, um, I, one of the reasons I put the table out here today with a smaller group, it may not happen, but to grab around and, and to share together, um, as we, we usually do with the one bread behind me um, as we do that. The table um, reminds us of and invites us anew to participation. The table reminds us of participation and invites us anew to participation with him. Scriptures say we've been crucified, buried, and risen with Christ. We participate in that. That's where the new life came from. We have been united in his life. We are united with one another, which is why we do it together. And we're, we're united with the larger body of Christ that will celebrate communion, some tonight and some tomorrow. Um, those who have done it for years and decades before us and those who will come before us. It unites us with all those. We are partnered with Christ and become participants in his story. There's something about taking it inside. And he says, remember what that's about, but that's a, it's a, almost a covenant of I participate with you and an invitation to us to join in his work. Robert Weber says this, what nourishes and transforms us at bread and wine is the disclosure of the whole story of God, creation, incarnation, recreation, which takes up residence inside of us. That's participation. As we take, eat, and take, and drink. For in this symbol, a reality is present. The divine action of God redeeming the world through Jesus Christ. In eating and in drinking, we experience a foretaste of the supper of the Lamb and the kingdom of Christ's rule over heaven and earth. He says we become what we eat. We become what we reenact over and over again. Living witnesses to Christ who lives in us. And we become participants, and as participants, after the table, we do what? We get sent, um, which is where we spend most of our life, somewhere else. 
um, carrying that reenactment of the gospel. As it reshapes us, we go back out, and the world can get reshaped around his work um, in us. Brian, if you want to bring the, the worship team back up, we're going to sing um, as we normally do, um, three or four songs, um, and then we're going to, and as we do so, we'll gather around the table um, that we've put in the center today. And um, I mean, we always come up here and we break up the bread and dip it in, and if we're kind of doing the same thing here. The, um, the gluten-free crackers I stuck in the middle of the table there for you, so they're not over on the side like they usually are. Um, I just invite you to the table as Jesus invites you to the table, um, as he's present here in, in a way that's unique. Um, I just encourage you, as we always do, just come up, but you don't have to wait in line. Just gather around as you do so. Um, if there's other people there, just pass the bread around to them. You're welcome to pray with each other. You're welcome to pray by yourself. You're welcome to kneel. You can stay quiet. You can come up alone if you want because we're together here as a church. Um, but we want to gather around this table. And um, I don't know what to tell you to think about. My, my first thought always goes, what am I supposed to think about, right? Um, and that's okay. Um, maybe it's just, God, manifest your presence to me here tonight and in this week in a new way. So help me to pay attention better. So maybe that's a prayer. Maybe it's just a, a thankfulness that we've been given a whole new identity and we have salvation in him. Um, maybe, maybe it's just, God, go with me into the day tomorrow as a, as a participant. I, I really want to participate with you in what you have. Give me eyes to see what you're doing. Um, maybe it's saying, God, thank you for this glorious gospel that's so full from beginning to end. Um, I want to see the end. I want to see it restored. I want to see the beauty of what you want to do. Maybe that's the prayer. Um, whatever it may be. Um, gather around, um, sing, partake, because you're invited here, um, and, we'll, and I'll do a benediction at the end. Go ahead and close your eyes just for a moment, though, before we do that. And I'm going to invite um, some of you, anybody that wants to, if we could just pray some prayers of blessing over the table, um, whatever may be coming to your heart at this moment. Um, so if several of you, just nice and loud, just pray some blessings over the bread and over the cup. this time as the time that you gathered with your disciples and ate together before you drank the cup of suffering.
Right, thank you for the table. It's just such a great picture. A place where there's abundance and you have finished everything and all that we need is in you. A place where there's a, a seat for every one of us. Um, where we can come without cost. Where we have a host that swings the door open and invites us in. Where together we all come at exactly the same place in need. And what we take is good um, because it honors you and it lifts you up. So be exalted in our midst as we, um, as we eat and as we partake. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.